0: It gives me great pleasure to welcome you back to Day Two and a Half to Grow a Million Dollar Business. And with me this morning we have Nicola Karen Cross. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Only a few years ago, in 1998, Nicola Karen Cross was applying for 12, 12 to 14,000 pounds per year secretarial jobs and couldn't pay the rent at the end of the month.
1: Entry and exit chimes are off.
0: Her life had a massive turnaround due to a well-timed mentor, the amazing Benny Gray from the Space Organization, and a book falling off a shelf in the Oxford Street branch of Books, Etc. That book was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Whew, is that one great book. She devoured it and did all the exercise before moving onto other greats such as Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the E-Myth Revisited. Nicola has been featured in many newspapers and magazines, including Women & Home, Duncan's Banatines, The Sharp Edge, The Times, The Observer, The Mail on Sunday, The Mirror, CNN Breakfast News Worldwide, to name a few. Nicola's company, The Money Gym, is Europe's leading wealth coaching and training company. They help bright, successful businesswomen become independently wealthy via a practical, proven coaching and mentoring program. In this session, you'll learn Nicola's wealth-building secrets to making money, even if all you want to do is just be a little bit more comfortable. Welcome, Nicola. Well, Heidi, Hal, thank you very much for having me.
1: You know, I'm sitting here with goose pimples because I'm in the Millennium Mayfair Hotel in Grosvenor Square in London. And I am literally just around the corner from where I used to work for Benny Gray.
0: Wow. That's awesome. What are you doing there? Uh, we're, we're
1: getting ready to have a two-day um, internet marketing event with Brett McFall from Australia. And I walked up to Marks & to buy myself a new top just before this call. And um, I walked past uh, Gray's uh, Antiques, which is where I used to work for Benny. And I actually just walked past that books etc on oxford street isn't that weird
0: oh that's so weird and wonderful wow that's isn't
1: that a, I, what a great feeling it is i, I really literally have got goose pimples because i was i was walking down this sunny street past um spaghetti house in duke street and i was thinking well that's where benny and i used to have our staff meetings <laughs> totally forgotten about that you know i totally forgotten i told you that information before the call how how odd is that
0: isn't it funny how we don't sometimes we forget to look back at where we were, and and then those little things remind us. And which brings me to my very first question: Would you give us a glimpse into the history of Nicola Cairncross?
1: Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> where do I start, though? <laughs> um, a succession of failed jobs, I think, is the best way to describe it. Underachiever at school. Um, bright but never fulfilled my potential. I got bored, but I did like to read, and I did learn to type at school, which was really cool. Uh, so what I did was I, I came out of school, and I I just went and got a job uh, selling what was I doing? selling advertising space. And then I went on to work for a big local water authority company, and then I went to be a hairdresser. I even worked in things like a bakery packing currant buns for a while. Well, I lasted two days there, actually. <laughs> and. Um, I just couldn't bear it. I got bored so quickly, and I never felt like I was ever going to earn enough to live on. And, it, you know, I, I really lurched from starting a business to, get, you know, failing, getting a job. I mean, I'm not kidding, this was every 18 months. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s, and I met and married my husband, and, and got pregnant with my first baby, which was a miracle, because so we were told we couldn't be able to have any. I suddenly realised that I really had to do something drastic. If I carried on doing the things I'd always done, I'd get the results I'd always got. Um, so yeah, I, I still, still, I was reading business books by this stage so I, I knew I always sort of knew I wanted to be self-employed, but I didn't know the difference between being self-employed and a business owner. And uh, so really, I was reading business books. I was going on courses to try and build businesses, but. I was only being taught the very basic level stuff and it just wasn't enough to save my businesses from going down the pan every time. So I'd go out and get another dull job, you know, twelve grand. I mean twelve grand at thirty eight is pathetic, isn't it? Wow, yeah. <laughs> and but I didn't know what I was doing wrong, Heidi. Didn't have a clue. In spite of, you know, really having the 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 want the desire, the passion, the mm-hmm. need, I just didn't know how to how to turn things around. Until that book.
0: Wow. But, you know, some people can read a book and, and they never get it. So that's pretty amazing that you were able to actually... You Well, the, I think timing is everything. I think that sometimes we'll hear a message several times and then all of a sudden it just sinks in. And it's like we just heard it for that the is. first time. You know? And it is a great yeah, book. Let me, let me, yeah. Well, let me
1: tell you the story, of Benny, because that was, that was the... I'd ever experienced what they called what I now know is called a paradigm shift. Um, I, I applied for this job, I was applying for a secretarial jobs, so I've had a baby, I had to go back to work because my husband was made redundant. And um, basically, what happened was I, was I was applying for these series of jobs, I went into this, I went into this uh, recruitment consultancy, and I said, Well, you know, I knew I was bright, but nobody else seems to be able to get it you know? <laughs> and uh, see my potential. So I went to a dreadful job as a secretary to the MD of a aggregate company and that was in in Acton in West London. Now that involved going down the M40 which is one of the most depressing motorways in England I'll tell you. And it was pouring with rain and I got to this aggregates company and it was piles of grey stone. That's what aggregates is is stone. And I went in there and I thought, I came out there and I stopped the car on the M40 in the pouring rain in a, in a lay-by and I thought, my God, if I get that job, I'm going to be so depressed. And if I don't get that job, I don't know how we're going to pay the rent. And so I came home and I thought, no, this is it. I've got to go through every single newspaper and I've got to apply to every single job that looks even remotely interesting. And the next job I applied for was the one for Benny. And I went to the interview and he, was, he lived in this sort of Gothic mansion in, in um, Highbury in London. And I just thought, wow, this is so cool. There were paintings everywhere. There were there were uh, antiques everywhere. And I applied to his job as a PA, I thought it went really well. And he said, well, I'm doing second interviews next Thursday. And I thought, well, that's no good because I'm on holiday down in, in on the south coast. My I, I won't tell him that. So I'll just come back for that day because I'm pretty confident I'm going to get a second interview. So I went down off my off off on my holiday, some some holiday staying in your sister's house in, in, on the south coast, and. Um, I came back on that Thursday expecting there to be a letter on the doorstep telling me what time to come, and there was no letter. So I did something that was quite uncharacteristic for me. I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, "Hi, Benny, it's Nicola Cancroft here. How are you doing?" And he said, "Hi, Nicola, I'm glad you called." And I said, "Well, I've just got home and I'm, you know, I'm on my holidays, but I popped back for the interview and um, there's no letter, so it must have got lost in the post, Benny." <laughs> and he said. I'm really glad you've called. I haven't sent you a letter. I have left a message on your home phone. He said, I've decided that you would make the most terrible, terrible secretary for me. And I, my heart—I could actually feel my heart drop. Oh my your, god! You know, and I—I oh, was horrendous. I've I'll never—I'll never forget that feeling. I was so sure, you know, I was so sure this was the right thing for me. And I said, Oh my god, you know, I, I can't believe you said that. I thought we got on really well, and I'd love to work for you. He said, Yeah. He said, I've got some good news though. He said, I've decided you're not secretarial material at all. You're management material. And he said, I'd like you to come in on Monday and start work for me. I'm going to pay you. Basically, I've gone for a job for sixteen grand, And he said, I'm going to start you on twenty grand a year. And we'll work out some sort of bonuses once we know what you're doing. And uh, I don't know what you're going to do yet, but just turn up on Monday and I'll find something for you. And I thought, oh, my God. Someone has seen my potential at last. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I turned up on Monday, and, and and that was it. You know, we we worked together for a couple of years, and he was he was so inspirational. He let me put into practice all this stuff I was learning in in the you know from the book and that's one of the reasons I picked the book up because I didn't want to
0: let him down. I didn't want to, to you know not not fulfill his faith in me. That is such a great story. You know, it's so great. You know, when we have confidence in ourselves is one thing, but when someone else recognizes. That in our in us, it's just an amazing feeling, isn't it? Yeah, That's
1: great. And I haven't looked back since because you know he put me on to performance-based bonuses. I I swiftly went up to. I mean he gave me the most incredible projects to do, really exciting things. And there was never any budget. He I used to say what's the budget, Benny? He used to say no, zero. He said see if you can do it for zero. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm sure you did very well for <laughs> trying to achieve that, right? Nicola? Well, you
1: know, I I used to spend, spend as little as possible.
0: That's great. Well, he knew you would do that, too, so that's great. Nicola, well, let's talk a little bit about your company, because I've heard that you are a, Europe's leading wealth coach, so I'd like to know how you went about starting the money gym and, you know, kind of that story, too.
1: Well, can I first say how honored I am to be on the same bill as Laurel Langmire because I just absolutely love her work. and. You know, if anything, you know she she is really the person that I aspire to be over over in Europe, and I think she does great work. So thank you very much for that, for that, Heidi. I appreciate that. Well, no, it's my pleasure. What
0: happened James.
1: was, uh, what yeah, what happened was, was I I I got to this stage where I was I was earning better, and I was devouring all these books, and then I read about life coaching in a, in a I don't know the career section of of one of our newspapers, and I thought, me, I could really do with one of those. <laughs> I thought, well, it's not so much about, you know, well, I wasn't happy actually, so I thought, well, I could, it wasn't so much that I wanted to work on my happiness, it was that I wanted to work on my career and carry on carry on improving. And um, so I went out and I, I rang the Life Coaching Association, the ICF in the UK. And I said, I need a life coach. So they they said, well, you know, what kind of things do you want to do? And by this time, I was daring to dream. <laughs> and so I said, well, I'd like to go back into the music industry one day because that's where I I used to work in one of my failed jobs. And I really enjoyed it. And, and so they gave me a life coach called Rachel Turner, who used to be very big in the music industry. She's she, you know, on the business side of things. And we I called her and she turned out to live just up the road so I drove up and dropped a check in her doorway so I could have my first session the next day. And um we got on like a house on fire and we're still very good friends. And she looking back, you know, I had no idea about personal development. I mean I'd read, you know, Stephen Cobe and I'd read Colin Turner by now. But she kept recommending books to me that I didn't ever really read and I I think there was some sort of inbuilt cynicism you know, that said, oh, it's no good reading that, That, you know, that stuff doesn't work, even though I've had proof already that it did. And one of the books she kept recommending was was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, she's got to read this book, Nicola, she's got to read this book, Nicola. (laughs) You know, every time I talked about money and how poor we were still, you know, how many debts we had and how I was living from paycheck to paycheck, you know, even though that was a bigger paycheck, it never seems to get big enough. Got to read that Rich Dad book, Nicola. So eventually, after about 18 months, I think, I went and read it, and um, and I just thought, oh my God, that's just so incredible. I can't believe that someone is writing about all my problems, all my financial problems, and the problems that my family's had in such an easy-to-understand way. So I raced through every book he's ever written. I then started reading things like Think and Grow Rich, um, The Richest Man in Babylon, uh, oh, you know, you name it, Laurel Langmire's book. um, T. Harvecker, millionaire mind, anything to do with wealth creation. I was just absolutely fascinated by it—the psychology of why why some people are poor and some people are rich, and some people just stick in the middle. And so, so I just raced through it. And you know, you know, you know, it's like when you've got, well, ADD. You know, you can really—you can't concentrate on things for very long. But when you find something you're really interested in, you really can concentrate. And I've just never stopped reading since. And what happened was I started to. I'd always been i always known how to make a website, and I started to just write a little, uh, like a diary, an online diary. It was one of the, one of the first forms of blogging, I suppose. So every week I'd put up a web page, just talking about what I'd learned that week and what my thoughts were about what I'd learned around wealth creation. And um, I came across Thomas Leonard, uh quite early on, and he—he he was recommending this thing called building a mailing list. So. <laughs> signed up for one shopping cart back in the prehistoric times and put a little box on my site and every time I put up a new page about my, you know, exploits that week, more people signed up. So then I started sending out my sort of diary of a Wealth Coach, I think. I don't, I don't think it was called Diary of a Wealth Coach, but I think it was called com. And so, so I just started to share what I was learning and what I was thinking and what I was feeling around the whole world creation subject. And I built this mailing list. And then the next thing you know, you've got people emailing you saying, Will you teach me what you know? And it sort of went on from there really.
0: Wow. And so um so the so it really wasn't called the money gym, you just kind of you were just sending it to
1: Yeah, it was Nicola dot com in those days. And then um what happened was I was I then read oh, another book. <laughs> books have books have been my my amazing things in my life. I read a book called Rags to Richards Through Real Estate by Ross Whitney. And that was a great book, and it talked about buying property no money down. And I thought, well, you can't do that in England. And so I thought, well, I wonder if you can. So I went out to look for a typical no money down deal. And the first one I stumbled across was a hotel. And, you know, it's pretty terrifying stuff, really. It's half a million pounds. And um, I thought, well, what would a real estate investor do? they'd just go and have a look, wouldn't they? And so I went and had a look, and I talked to the owner, and again, very, very spookily, it was the universe at work. Half of the hotel was a house that my mum used to own. Now, my mum was dirt poor, but she, she really did raise us by buying and selling decrepit houses. So we moved every 18 months, a bit like my job, you know, I spent an 18-month time frame on anything I do. And so half of this hotel had been one of the houses. Like, my mum had, had about 10 houses in our hometown. And half of this hotel had been one of the houses my mum had had. So it was a bit weird, again, a bit sort of synchronicity. And so I ended up making this hotel owner an offer. I said, I'll buy your, I'll buy your hotel, but I want both halves, not just the half you're trying to sell. And I want to do it um, on a deal where I'll get some of the money from the bank and you and the other half. So effectively it was like gender finance. And he said, okay. I thought, oh my God, i I'd have to do it now. <laughs> so I went to see the bank manager and I said, well, I've got a chance to buy this hotel. It'll be a business and a real estate investment. And how much will you lend me? And he said, well, we'll probably be able to do 70% of the value. And I thought, well, gosh, that'll give me a great big cushion to get the place renovated and done up and, and run it, you know, working capital. And then after about a week and a half, he called me and he said, no, they haven't agreed to the um, 80%. I can't remember. I think he said 80% first. And then I, he said, no, we can't do the deal. We can't do the deal. So I, I remember sitting outside the bank on a bench and thinking, I wonder if he means no, not at all, or does he mean no, not now, or does he mean no, not that deal? So I rang him up and I said, Okay, they won't do eighty percent, but would they do any other kind of percent? And he said, yeah, they do seventy percent, but I wasn't allowed to tell you that. So we ended up um, borrowing three hundred thousand from the bank and buying this half million pound hotel. I gave the owner two hundred and fifty, and I had fifty thousand to renovate it and get it started. But the ironic thing was, the same day that I got the letter from the bank saying we'll lend you three hundred thousand pounds, I got a letter from one of the credit card companies saying I couldn't have a credit card for a thousand pounds. Oh. Funny. <laughs> same day, same day. <laughs> so, so this is the point where I'm doing lots of different things. I've got, I've got my coaching business, I've got my hotel. Um, I, I also had an internet business to do with the music industry, which, you know, none of them, none of them are doing great, to be honest. And then one day, my accountant said to me, "You've got this coaching business that's very high profit and low overhead. You've got a hotel here that's very high overhead and not much profit." Um, you're working yourself into the ground, So any chance you could do something with a coaching business in your hotel. So I came up with the idea of a one-year coaching program with four workshops a year. Everyone comes to stay at the hotel. Uh, we have a great time and we do a two-day workshop once a quarter. And that was when I launched it at the Money Gym. And I sent out an email to my list saying you know, I'm going to give away the first five places. So I thought it would be really cool to put stuff away first. And I gave away the first five places and 27 people signed up on the same day. It was just unbelievable for a one-year coaching program. It wasn't cheap, actually, because we wow. had to include it with the workshops and stuff. How
0: big was your list? And the money.
1: Uh, at that time, it probably was about two thousand people. Wow, not very big. Yeah,
0: that's, not very big. That's a great. I, I never
1: forget that looking at the screen and seeing these these bookings come. You know, these these people signing up to this program. And I found out that some of them had been on my mailing list for two to three years before just reading my journey. I'm
0: sorry, say that
1: one more time. I didn't quite get the last bit. Okay. Well, basically, you know, people have been on my list for two to three years just reading my own personal journey. So, you know, they knew I was living it and walking my talk. And and I think that's why when I sent out that email saying first five people to sign up, get it for free, Everybody else afterwards, you know it's gonna be this much i think I think people just believed me because they've been reading about my story as I went along, you know,
0: yeah, so they knew about your uh, buying the the hotel and the whole nine yards then yeah. wow, that's awesome, yeah, well, you know
1: I've always tried to be, I've always tried to be very as honest as possible in my evening, you know without upsetting people
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's a great tip to share with everybody. Um, and you've mentioned a lot of um, a lot of thought leaders that you have learned from. Tell us about some of the master coaches and experts um, that you have maybe worked with, and what you've learned from them, and and how they've helped your business to grow.
1: Well, they, you know, they stand out, Heidi. They really do. I mean, I, I very early on in my in my journey, I I read a book by um, Laura Berman Fortgang called "Take Yourself to the Top." And I love that book. It was all about um, how to move on in your career. But there was a fantastic chapter in there about um, networking and about how to network effectively. And she, basically, Laura says you can only ever be um, really close to about 30 people at a time. So what you need to do is go through your list of contacts. I mean, I had loads of contacts in the music industry and all the places I've worked. And she said, go through your list of contacts and just... Just mark out the people that you would like to be in contact with on a weekly basis and on a monthly basis. And then go through and and strike off anyone who makes your heart sink at the thought of picking up the phone to them. And I have found that so powerful because it freed me up from trying to keep in contact with 300-odd people and it gave me permission to only work with people I like. And I've stuck to that ever since. Wow. The Laura Burman Thought Gang, that's one, uh, Thomas Leonard. Well, what a man! I mean, he really was a genius. And I saw it. I was so privileged. I went to Las Vegas to see him live um, at the Coachville conference, and I just sat in the audience. I was only about, I only about three Brits there, and um, I sat in the audience and I just thought, this man genuinely is a genius. And I think anyone who, who was on his research and development team for Coachville and Coach U um, will remember how how incredibly brilliant he was he was very inspirational particularly on the internet marketing front you know i, I really followed a lot of his um his on, on building a virtual coaching business and then there was benny and then there was my bank manager my bank manager was a wonderful man my accountant you know really cool guy and then i started meeting um people in the property investment world i mean my my two very good friends uh greg and andy um, they have a company here, they, they started a property portfolio on a on a credit card with um, a down payment of £10,000, $20,000 and they're, na- they're now worth something like £37 million, and they've done that in 10 years. So they are really inspirational mentors for me, you can imagine. Of course, this weekend, I'm just going to spend the whole weekend with a guy called Brett McFall, who's an Australian, who I met accidentally at an a, a internet marketing seminar. He was organizing it, and I I remember sitting in the audience in 2004 and saying, I'd really like to be on that stage. I, I mean, I'd never spoken in public, but I just remember thinking to myself, I'd love to do that. And I'm spending the whole weekend with him. We're co-hosting a, an Internet seminar here in London, and, and that's just incredible. And what's
0: his name again? Brett?
1: His name is Brett McFall. M- McFall, yeah. L. Got it.
0: I'm
1: writing The co co founder of the World Internet Summit, which travels around the world teaching people how to make money online.
0: Oh yes, thousand
1: people in the room.
0: So you must know Beth Davis, the hand analyst. I think she was. No, at, I do,
1: no.
0: Oh, I'll have to introduce you. She's a good, a good friend of mine. She's a, a member of the, our organization, and um, I believe she's been to the World Internet Summit. She, I know she's mentioned it to me a couple of times. So, if not, you must meet her. Yes. Definitely. I'd love,
1: I'd love to.
0: Yes, I'll connect you. Um, so, you know, you mentioned mentors. We were talking about your mentors. Let's talk a little bit about um, wealth mentors, how you go about finding one. Because since this is the conversation, I think that's one thing that we need to know is if we we want to get to that point in life, we do need help. Yes,
1: we do. And, you know, the thing is, it's about, you know, I always – I said we had to start with this, really. That wealth creation is such a simple thing, but we're not taught it at school, and unless we're very lucky and we have parents or uncles or aunts or people like that around us who know how to make money and to hang on to it once you've made it as well, then, then there's no way you can. No way you can find this out. It's, it's not. It's out there in books, but you don't really know that it is because you have never read any. So. I would say it's crucial to find a wealth mentor, and you, you've got to find someone who's actually done what you want to do, and I think this is true in any aspect of business life, actually. You know, go and find someone who's actually done what you want to do, because they'll be the people who've been through all the pain, made all the mistakes, um, know the pitfalls to avoid, and the interesting thing about all the really, truly wealthy people I've met is they are desperate to help people desperate they really want to help people avoid the same mistakes but people don't ask there's a great quote in rich dad Poor Dad. he says uh the rich dad says when you become wealthy an interesting thing happens people either ask you for a job or a loan they never ask you how you did it wow interesting now see i want to know how they did it so
0: i can do it myself (laughs)
1: Absolutely, and do you know what, Heidi? That was the one thing that held me back for 38 years. Was that I was so independent. Yeah. I always felt that if I asked for help, I'd be beholden to someone, and I didn't ever realise that when you get to a certain level in of wealth in or success, you you just want to give back. You don't want to. Um, you don't want to just keep doing it for the sake of it. You actually want to help other people because that's where your pleasure comes from now.
0: And it's nice if you can make it into a business and and um, see, you know, in in other words, in order, in besides the intrinsic benefits and the emotional benefits, it's always nice to have show that you know your legacy lives on in many ways. Yeah, it's
1: just. Yeah, really- I mean, I, I I was thinking the other day. You know, I'm 46 and I'm just about to be 47. And um, another another sort of funny story was my my real father died very young. I th- I thought he died at 42. So I think that's why when I got to 38, I was starting to think my time was running out, you know, and I had to do something about it quickly. And I was, you know, I sort of spent the next two or three years going like a whirling dervish. And I was sitting in the um, hotel garden with my stepfather, who actually was a wonderful man and, and really brought me up very so beautifully. And I was saying to him, you know, he said, what, what made you start all this, Nicola? What made you really get off your backside and do something? And I said, well, you know, I was sort of thinking about Dad and, and the fact he died at 42 and, um, you know, that I didn't have much time left, sort of, literally thinking that. And he said, you are daft. He died at 36. So I've been laboring under this illusion that I only had four years left, whereas actually, theoretically, my time was up already. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's one of the things that sort of motivate you subliminally, really.
0: Really? Wow. Well, you know, they say, what would you do if you knew you only had a year to live or a day to live or whatever? And it's, it's so that's kind of a true, uh, you actually show the proof of what you can do when you think you've only got a certain amount of time and left to do it.
1: Let's well, talk. you know, I don't know any reason for that. It's just something that sort of niggled away at me. But, I mean, I'm 46, maybe 47 now, and, and you know, my birthday next week, and, I don't really have to go out and do anything I don't want to anymore, but I just get so much pleasure out of seeing people, you know, you can look around a room, a room of a hundred people, and there'll be two or three people who are sitting there, and they're almost shining because they're getting it, and they come up to you afterwards, and the, the look in their eyes is just incredible, and, and it's just such an amazing feeling, God, I wish I'd had someone like someone like that to listen to when I was younger, you know?
0: Really, yeah, well, and luckily, you picked up those books and they gave you that start i I would like to talk about once we've found someone we'd like to work with and we've kind of come up with that agreement and they've 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 agreed to take us under their wings what What are some of those expectations as a mentee we should have, and what do we need to fulfill in our mentors' eyes? What should our roles be, in other words?
1: Well, let's back to us a little bit, Heidi, because I think what might be really helpful for anyone listening is to say how do you approach your mentor? You know, having having been inspired by someone, having, you know, feeling drawn to someone, how do you then approach them and, and ask them if they'll consider being your mentor? Because we always get people, you know, when you're speaking in public, you get mobbed afterwards and, and people really just want to, it's almost like they, they wish you could just brain dump into them and, and to be honest, I wish I could too. So how would I choose a mentor if someone came? A mentee if someone came up to me, I think it would be if somebody had that that look about them. Um, they were energetic. They were willing to to do stuff. They were willing to get off their backsides and travel a bit. If they were willing to come to me, and they made it easy for me initially, because obviously you know when you get to a certain level in in life you're you're, you're busy and and you want to spend your spare time with your family. So people need to make it easy for you to mentor them, and they have to make you feel that they're going to do whatever it takes and that they're going to actually take action. Because I'll go a long way for someone, but the thing that puts me off working with anyone is if I suggest they do something and they simply don't do it. And and there are a lot of people like that, you know, they just say, oh I never got round to it or whatever. And it, that's very dispiriting for for a mentor. So. I would I would really try and show that you're gonna you're gonna really make take advantage of, of the time that you're supposed to be given and the advice you're gonna be presenting. So um, yeah, so uh then once you know, once you've found a mentor, you have approached them, they've agreed to take you on, it's really your responsibility as a mentee is to actually take action. Not necessarily the action they suggest, but some sort of related action, because if a mentor suggests something, then they're not, you know, they're not just doing it for the good of their, the good of their health. They're actually suggesting it they so think they can do it. And if you come back and you say, well, I didn't do that, then you need to give them, a, a, you know, a damn good reason why, really, and say, well, you know, okay, well, I thought this would be better, and, and then we can discuss it. So communicate and um, and you know, don't waste time and. I think you'll find that you'll get so much out of a, a mentor-mentee relationship if you, if you just follow those simple guidelines. Really.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, so so how can we maximize our time and the talent of our mentor to help us achieve our goals? In other words, what are some of the tips you suggest when we're with our mentor or we're chatting with our mentor on the phone? I mean, you know, we're all limited for time, and it's, it's important that we... You know respect
1: the other person's time as well i i I'd come to any call prepared I'd also be prepared to work virtually because you know travelling is just the worse way of time and unless you're very lucky and you can travel in comfort and work on on the train or the plane or whatever so so be prepared to work virtually um come to any call or meeting really prepared you know recap on what you've done since the last time you met and come to the call with perhaps think about what is your one biggest challenge uh i've just been watching one of my heroes rich sheffron and he's just done a 24 hour um live virtual television broadcast and it was awesome he just coached and talked and gave advice took questions for 24 hours solid from his office and it was just amazing to watch it and um he he talks about obstacles so What's your one biggest obstacle to success right now And the the gift that Rich Sheffern has is of taking very complex business concepts and making them very simple. And that's the thing I've noticed in a lot of incredibly successful people. They've got a great talent for cutting through the waffle and the fluff and the confusion that most of us feel. And they just get right to the heart of the matter. So if you could come to a call with your mentor and say, you know, this is my one biggest obstacle. This is my one biggest thing that's stopping me from moving forward. Then I think that would help you, and it would help your mentor to help you.
0: And you know, I saw that uh, about Rich, and of course, with my event going on, I didn't get a chance to attend. Is there a way to find out if is that going to? Was that archived by any chance? Do you know?
1: Uh, it was recorded, and um, if you go to strategicprofits.com dot com and you know sign up for their mailing list, I'm sure you'll be able to access the recording. It was literally a, a groundbreaking, historic event. It was just amazing to watch. But you know, so, you know his, his essence is to cut through. And you know, my friends Greg and Andy are you know the, the, the property multi-millionaires. You yeah, know, Greg is the most down-to-earth person. He went to a comprehensive school just up the road from where I live now, and he has just got this absolute gift of letting me waffle on for about ten minutes, and then he ask a really very direct question, and it usually gets straight to the heart of the matter. And I think. You know, any really successful person has got this gift of, of cutting through the, the confusion and getting straight to, to the, the real number of things.
0: Yes, I, I've seen him. I've not seen him, but I've heard him, and I think he's just great. And I think that um, when you find someone like that, you want to just try to absorb everything you can, as you mentioned about the, all of the mentors that you have worked with and the people that you've learned from. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes you see people make in the mentor-mentee relationship, Nicola?
1: Um, I think the main the main one is um, somehow thinking that the mentor owes you something. And it, it, it's a victim mentality, actually. And it's the lack of taking responsibility for yourself and your own um, choices in life up to this point. I mean, I used to be a terrible, terrible victim, and that's one of the things that Stephen Covey taught me. And, you know, you've got to take responsibility, and you know, a lot of people, when things go wrong, they they blame the mentor, and it, you know, sort of blaming their own decisions. And it's a really difficult thing to get, habit to get out of, and you've really got to work hard at it. You know, because I spent thirty-eight years being a victim, and so you know, it was very hard for me to to. to that and I had to keep working at it, and that's why I think a coach is great. Um, the other thing is, you know, don't just barrel up to someone at a conference and say, you know, I want to be mentored by you. You've got to, you've got to earn. Uh, you've got to work your way in slowly. You've got to get to know people slowly. You've got to work at it and and earn the right to be to be to get some advice. You know?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, unless they've got a lot of time on their hands, which most people, if you want to be mentored by them there's a reason it's because they're so successful and sought after you know so absolutely i well everything in life is and i think today more than ever it's about building relationships if you can't if if you're not good at building relationships then that type of uh, program won't work for you and you're probably better off to um find a consultant or a coach that can deal with that type of type of uh, personality because you're probably not going to get a mentor to want to take you under their wings you know. I think humility is number one and and maybe, you know, willingness to learn and valuing that person the other person's time is so important. You know, we're all we're all given the same amount of time.
1: Yeah. I mean it might be controversial, Heidi, but you know, I, I got to a point in my coaching relationship with Rachel and um she you know, she she was very brave. She turned around and said to me, you know, you've got some self esteem issues that go back to your childhood I think. Have you ever thought of having any therapy? And I hadn't because in Britain we don't really do that stuff. But I thought, well, she says you keep getting stuck at the same things, you keep getting stuck at the same points and generally speaking when you keep getting stuck like this, it's to do with something in your psychological makeup, or your self-esteem, you know, or your childhood history. So I I went and, and spoke to a therapist and I found one and I was working with a therapist at the same time as I was working with a coach. And the coach was helping me move forward, and the therapist was helping me deal with the stuff in my past that was holding me back. So I would definitely say that if you keep making the same mistakes and you keep going around in what feels like circles, then certainly consider going and talking to to a therapist as well. Because you know there's many practical ways of getting therapy nowadays. It's not all you know the woo-woo stuff. It's you know a of cognitive behavioural therapy is fantastic. And so you know. It's, it's Consider everything, you know, consider all the tools that are available to you. And if you really want to be successful, you'll do whatever it takes.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk about your wealth creation blueprint that you describe as enabling bright, energetic people to control, get out of debt, make more money, and find financial freedom.
1: Oh, yes. Well, that's a a down-to-earth 10-step program. And the reason it's down-to-earth is because it's all very well talking about the law of attraction. But the most important word, in my opinion, in attraction is the word action. But how can you take action if you don't know what to do? So you can read things like Think and Grow Rich, you know, over and over again, and you can what's the secret? All of these books and, and videos are fantastic, by the way. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying they're not. But you, then you need to know what to do. So the first, I got what, what happened was when I sat down and created the money gym. and thought, okay, what am I going to cover in these workshops? What would I have wanted to know? 10 years ago, what would I think is essential that you learn at school in order to become wealthy? And first of all, it starts out with discovering where you are now. So there's a lot of practical stuff about, okay, let's look it in the eye and let's see what our debts are and what our assets are and what our earnings are and what our outgoings are. And let's really look at where we are now because until you know where you are now, you can't, you know, if you were starting to go to, I don't know, London from Brighton, which is what I do today, you have to know you're in Brighton before you know which train to get on to go to London. And if you don't know where you are now, you're lost. So you're never going to get to where you want to go. So what I started out was thinking, OK, in a, in a logical sequence of steps, what do people need to know and what do people need to do? And I put it into this 10-step 10 10 step sequence and started working people through that. And we do it either over a year. Or we can do it over three months. If someone's very bright and very energetic and has got the time to vote to it, people can do it, can do it virtually. Um, you know, so it really is just a, a combination of the psychological aspects of wealth creation and the practical steps that you need to take in order to become wealthy. Not just to become wealthy, but stay wealthy. Because you know we all know about the lottery winners who who win millions of pounds or dollars and then they it's gone in two years. Because they haven't changed what they what Harvetta calls your 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 wealth blueprint. They haven't changed their fundamental makeup around the way they deal with money. And money's a weird thing, you know, it, if you don't look after it, it goes somewhere else very, very quickly. That's so
0: true. <laughs> Usually to other people.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a bit like a relationship, isn't it? You know, you're not gonna stay in a relationship where you're well, you know, some people do love lesson, but The ideal relationship is one where you get looked after, and if you can think to yourself, well do I look after my money, or or am I really careless with it and and disregarding of it, and do I think of of money with hate and fear, or do I think of money as, as a positive energy that can make my life better and help me make other people's lives better? Lots of people have got this really weird thing that they feel they have to go out and save the world before they can help themselves. Actually, it's the other way around. You can't help you can't save the world, till you till you at least put you know, put your bills, pay your bills and put the food on the table.
0: That's so true. So, what are some of your top money making tips and even money saving tips if you want to share any of those with our listeners?
1: Yeah. Well, uh money saving tips is well, I mean, I, to be honest in the money gym, we don't really focus on the saving things. We get people um looking at their debts, we get people aware of their income and outgoing, but we don't really focus on lots of nitpicky little savings because I think that's um okay, think of a spiral, right? A spiral you start at the bottom and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes up, yeah? So that's a really positive wealth creation spiral. But I think if you spend too much time focusing on trying to save little bits of money, you're focusing in the wrong way. Your spiral is getting slightly and tighter as it goes down you're going the wrong way on the wealth spiral, if you like. What I want to do is get people to be very aware of what they're spending and what they're earning. I want them to know that if there's a difference that they need to make up there. I need them to know what their debts are. But I don't focus on getting people to pay off their debts um, immediately. If they've got, say, I don't know, 10 grand in debt and 20 grand in savings, and they're thinking, well, should I pay off my 10 grand in debt? I'd sort of be looking at what you could do with that 20 grand savings to invest in income-producing assets that will then pay off your debt for you and go on to keep growing. So I think there's a bit of a, bit of a, a focus on, on saving money, whereas we prefer to focus on creating wealth from income-producing assets that will not only pay off your debt, but then go on to keep you forever. So then... So... One of the... One of the Go on.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, what, what can I what can I tell you? It's some shocking, startling facts about wealth creation. I mean, right in the middle of the, the, the worst sort of subprime mortgage crisis, um, and you know, in the UK we've got banks closing all over the shop, haven't we? And, and nobody can get a, a mortgage at the moment. I still say that investing in property is the best, easiest long-term vehicle for wealth creation. You have to know what kind of property to invest in, and actually now is the best time to pick up the best deals. And uh, we've got a number of clients in the UK here that are investing in America very heavily because you know there are such, such great deals to be had over there. So I really believe that you know just buying one unit a, a year that is existing housing stock, isn't overpriced. You get it at a bargain, you do it up a little bit and then you put a tenant in there, I still believe that's one of the best long-term wealth creation plans, which is a little bit controversial in this sort of climate at the moment, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. But you know what? Um, I would totally agree with you because there are so many great deals to be had right now. Um, America is not owned by Americans anymore, and so we in America, particularly, if we want to buy our country back, we've got to start investing in it.
1: (laughs) Buy it back one unit at a time.
0: <laughs> yep, that's right. One
1: unit at a time. But there's
0: enough of us here. <laughs> so,
1: Nicole, what is the? The other thing is, okay, go ahead. I get so exasperated, Heidi, when you know I listen to the news. In fact, I can't listen to the news because I end up shouting at the television. They have um, they have families on, and you know they've got what, you know, two kids, and they're living in a, a little unit, and the dad goes out to work or the mum goes out to work, and they just don't seem to be able to look past. Possibility of having one job, one income, or even two jobs, two incomes, and it's so easy to make money online. And okay, people go, well, I'm, you know, I, I I only made sixteen dollars online this month. I you know I didn't make my million, but you know you've got to think about what what's that sixteen dollars paying for that you would have had to earn otherwise. So I'm, I'm a great believer in getting people started on the internet, even if they can't you know if they can't afford a deposit on a property, particularly if should start looking at the internet. Absolutely. Or they should start looking at starting an ordinary little business. Not some, you know, that's what I used to think about starting a business. I always looked for something new and different to do, and that was the creator in me. But actually, you just want to go and start an ordinary little business, like a babysitter's business or a jog, dog walking business or a gardening business or a you know, cleaning business. You know, there's always people who want cleaners, and trying to find a good cleaner is really hard work. Yes,
0: and if you can be the best and get a good reputation, then you can build a business that you can even turn around and sell. So that's
1: right. and that's well, really what it's all about. So that's it,
0: that's it. what other resources would you like to share with our listeners, Nicola? Well,
1: start with the books because they're cheap and they're easily available and if you like to read, but that's only for visual people really. The other thing I would say is, you know, be aware that all the great wealth creation books now pretty much are on audio. I mean I've literally just spent two or three days um in my office with a, a good quality studio mic recording an audio version of my book because thirty percent of the population like to, to listen rather than read or see. And so that you know, that's really important. You can get the get the books on audio. I think that's you know the cheapest form of education you can get really. Also there's so much stuff available online. If you go to YouTube, for example, and put in wealth creation, you'll start to come across some amazing resources because we're all putting our stuff onto YouTube now because it's a great marketing tool online. But at least you can get a free education about wealth creation. And trust it up. You know, if you're watching someone and you think, oh God, you know, they just seem too slick to be true. I can't believe a word they're saying. Then turn it off and go and find someone else. Not. I always like to say, not all the junk mail that comes through your mail is junk. Some There might be a nugget of gold in there. And similarly, not all the, the wealth creation gurus are... Of the same caliber and I think if you're watching someone and you resonate with them, then devour everything they've done, go and devour everything they recommend and, and really trust your gut instincts. It's like finding a virtual mentor in a way.
0: I would agree. What's next for you?
1: Oh, guy's look at it, Heidi. I'm so excited at the moment. I can't tell you. I want to be more speaking. Absolutely love it, um, never knew I could do it, and um, my mum was on the stage in, in uh, the 60s, and I just never thought that I would ever dare do anything like that. My sister's an opera singer, but I thought I was a backroom kind of girl, and um, I spoke to public public um, for the first time at the World Internet Summit in London, and there was about 120 people in there, and I never forget how scared I was, but I did it, and the feeling afterwards was just amazing. Uh, I've spoken to 800 people at the moment, and I'd really like to do more public speaking. I'd like to go out and um, talk to people about internet marketing, wealth creation, psychology of why people are poor and some people are not. Uh, Want to travel more. I've just been, um, I just booked on the cruise in the January. I'm going on the uh, Caribbean with three hundred um, internet marketers. I'm going to be ho- holding workshops on the ship, which is very exciting. Finally, all the things I'm I'm most passionate about and fond of, which is travel and taking the kids with me and doing workshops for wealth creation. Um, So travel is definitely on the agenda. More speaking on the agenda. I want to write another book. Uh, I mean, I've I've got no idea how I do, but I'll just embrace it with open arms, whatever it is.
0: So uh, I'd love to have you back at some time, Nicola, and talk about the psychology of wealth. I think that would be a really interesting topic. Can we? Can we?
1: Yeah, I'd love to, my not
0: That'd be great. And I and that that cruise. If you'll send me information about some of the events you have coming up, I'd be more than happy to send it to our group and and let them know about any opportunities you might have. Um, and if you'll tell us about the money gym and how we can how our listeners can get involved, find you online and all of that, I would appreciate it.
1: Okay. Well, Heidi, not only can they find us online, they can make money from us online because. We have a very nice um, uh, referral scheme that pays 50% of all our e-books, our audio, um, and also we we have a recurring membership scheme at the Money Gym over in, in the UK here, and, and we pay £10 or $20 a month on, on referrals for that. So you know, if people want to come and check me out, it's the moneygym.com forward slash blog. I think that's the best way to come in and start because there's a 1,000 wealth-creating articles on there, and you can search by keyword. And then they can sign up and, and earn money from recommending us, which is a very cool thing indeed, I think. Oh, I'll definitely be signing
0: up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Uh, if you send an email to nicola at nicola@themoneygym.com, you'll have to verify yourself through my spam blocker, but um, it will come straight through to me, and that's my personal email. And I, I reply to everyone eventually, and I get to usually most people between you know a day or two days. So.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm always amazed at how quickly these things end. And I'm always sad to yeah, say goodbye to my guests. It was just wonderful. I wish we'd had more time. And I want to thank you for you taking Very
1: much
0: I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I'm going to end the formal part. I think my next guest may be here, so if you'll hold on just one moment, please. Please enter your subscriber pen followed by the pound sign That is not a valid PIN. Please re-enter your PIN code.